0: I'm spinning in circles and talking to myself Spinning in circles and talking to myself
1: Welcome to a new spin on autism Answers with host and international speaker and performer, Lynette Louise Besides working on her doctorate in psychophysiology, Lynette has raised eight children, six adopted And four of them falling somewhere on the autism spectrum Laugh with her, cry with her, as she talks to both experts and parents and takes you through the often confusing, sometimes frustrating, sometimes overwhelming, but always fascinating world of autism.
0: Hello and welcome. This is a new spin on Autism Answers. I am Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, also known as The Brain Bra. Today is a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful day because I've been up since 6 a.m. accidentally on purpose. I saw the sun coming up. It was so pretty, and I never, never get to see that. So uh, the closest I get to that is I'm rushing to the airport, but I'm too busy looking at the traffic. So uh, it's really a nice day. I'm feeling happy. I hope you are too. Today we're going to attack the autism puzzle. And I think our question should be the autism puzzle. What piece are you if you know someone who's autistic, if you are autistic, if you have a family member that's autistic, if you've seen autism on the television, you are a piece of the autism puzzle. Heck, if you are in in the argument of vaccines or if you drink from plastic bottles or if you eat GMO or if you just don't think any of that is real, you are a piece. Of the autism puzzle. There's really no escaping the fact that the autism uh, numbers have gone up. Everybody wants to say, well, maybe it's overdiagnosis and all this stuff, but if you actually look at all the numbers across the board, all inflammatory, all immune system, all brain disorder numbers are up. So I would say we have some kind of toxic environment influence going on and all the more reason to look at biochemically what's happening to us and our children and our loved ones and our autistic folk and see why are they well what can we do never mind why just what can we do because the why wow that can be overwhelming the why is like holy cow our world is just messed up so let's do the Never mind the why, what can we do, and how do we look at it, and where do we go, and who do we talk to, and all that stuff. And so I've got a great guest for that today, and we are going to ask the question, the autism puzzle, what piece are you? But before we get to our guest, remember to stay to the very end of the show, where we will have
1: stories
0: from the road, and I will try to um, kind of help us. Fare our way through the autism puzzle and figure out the pieces. Uh, before I introduce the guest, I just want to tell you a quick little thing. That is about my son, because I like to talk about him, and besides, then I don't have to get anybody's permission.
1: Um, and
0: also, because it applies to most of the people that I meet that have extreme, slow-functioning autism. So uh, a lot of people talk about leaky gut, And in my experience I remember watching my son and he would he would get very anxious and he would start to sweat and his state would change his color would change Uh, he would maybe pace hit himself in the face possibly um, probably at that time and always correlated with some kind of usage of the stomach now Here's the thing. When we hear leaky gut, we often think, um, oh, so when you're eating and try to digest, stuff gets you know, out into the system that shouldn't be out in the system because it came, you know, I, I'm imagining a cheesecloth and things can squeeze through and other things don't because they're too big and some some things get out, you know, it makes sense, perforated gut, And it's a, easy to imagine. But we sort of limit it to that and forget to think in terms of let's use the cheesecloth. So if you have the cheesecloth and you fill it full of cheese, <laughs> you're going to squeeze it and stuff's going to come out, the liquid and stuff that can fit out of the cloth will will ooze out, and that's the idea behind a cheesecloth. So let's use that analogy. So you have the, the, the cheesecloth analogy in your mind, and you're imagining the food is coming down and, it's, and some of the easy-to-leave-the-stomach um, liquid. In the, it's cheese. Let's just stick with that. So the liquid's coming out of this perforated cheesecloth. And so that's where a lot of people stop thinking. But but keep the analogy in your mind because when you do sit-ups, when you get up from the chair, when you do anything that uses your stomach muscles, you squeeze the cheesecloth. You see? You squeeze it and then more comes out. Now nobody ever talked to me about that. I'm I'm not sure anybody ever has even to this day. So what I noticed was that whenever my son would have to do something using his stomach muscles, he'd avoid it, or he would have a little problem, and then that would stabilize. And um, he got really good at moving his body in such a way that it didn't squeeze the cheesecloth, that his back muscles got used instead of his stomach muscles. And that was fascinating to me when I started thinking like this, because I was like, wow. Maybe that's just a part of trying not to have um, things leak out his gut. It seemed like a silly idea, but a possibility, and I put it off to the side and sort of kept it in the back of my head. And and then I noticed, or actually it was my daughter that noticed, and said, maybe it's the poo that makes him sick. And I went Ding, 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 Eureka. How did I miss that? I mean, people have strokes when they're having a bowel movement. How did I miss that? When you're having a bowel movement, you're really squeezing the cheesecloth. And, oh, my gosh, he's trying to move a toxic substance species is full of toxins he's trying to get that out of him and while he's doing that he's actually probably releasing toxins into his system how counterproductive (laughs) you're trying to get it out and you're getting it in and um it was it was a, a eureka moment for me when i realized oh this is a much bigger picture than than i previously realized so looking at biochemistry is confusing but if you use good observ- observational techniques, you will have really good knowledge to bring with you when you go and seek out professional help, and you'll be able to guide your ship really well. And it's important. So on the leaky gut syndrome thing, that really did turn out to be true when they, when the child is a you know goes to the bathroom, whether they have diarrhea or constipation, though it's usually constipation issues, um, they are dealing with that kind of toxic release into the system. So start to see those correlations. That will be much more useful for you when you go and you're talking to the doctor. And you'll be able to tell when he knows the stuff or he doesn't by whether or not he can address your questions around those Observations. All right. I think we have a guest who can address any question I probably throw at him. He's super, super informed, and I'm really excited to have Dr. Mensa of Mensa Medical. Okay, 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 okay. We are doing a great guest giveaway <laughs> by our great guest. We are combining great guest giveaway and... The original, the one, the only interview. Okay, so, so we've got one person, because he's so fantastic, has so much to say. And he's going to give us something at the end. So therefore, it's a great guest giveaway and the original interview. It's with Dr. Albert Mensah. He's an internationally recognized physician specialist in metabolic treatment approaches for patients with developmental learning, behavioral, and mental health problems. Dr. Mensah believes that gene expression plays an important part in autism, and that abnormal methylation and oxidative stress is the cause of most cases of autism. So we are definitely going to get into that. He's successfully treated. I love that. We're going to get into this this statement, too, because I always want to know what's the definition of success. Well, it's probably going to be my first question. He's successfully treated thousands of patients on the autism spectrum with non-drug. Love that. Let me say that again non-drug nutrient, let's say that, non-drug nutrient therapy, guess why? He's on the show, which are prescribed individualized vitamins, minerals, and amino acids. I actually was healed by Dr. Atkins, the Dr. Atkins, who's now dead, um, when I got mercury exposure from my teeth. He was the only one that would diagnose it and heal me. And he did it with (laughs) non-drug nutrient therapy so I'm real excited to talk with Dr. Mensah so let's not waste any more time with me going yeah 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 and say hello thank you for being here
1: thank you very much for having me thank you
0: oh you're more than welcome all right so let's start there let's start with what is successfully treated how do you define that
1: well really success has a in and of itself has a spectrum Um, in the worst-case scenario, I define success as improvement substantially beyond the original situation that a patient was in.
0: So they um, have, like, a trajectory of change that they have when they're, they come to you at a baseline, and you go, okay, according to this trajectory, this is where they'll be in next year, and if we can make a difference, this trajectory will be
1: improved. That is correct. Okay. And we, we on the positive side, the highest side of that spectrum, the patient loses the diagnosis and no one ever knows that they ever had a condition called autism or that they were in the so-called autism spectrum whatsoever.
0: Yeah, I love the way you just said that because this is something that is often contaminated by the way that things are advertised and talked about. The poor mom with the person who's got slow moving, I've I've coined a new phrase, instead of low functioning autism, it's slow functioning. Um, So the slow-functioning autistic person in the home, and then they're reading the case study and hearing, you know, heals autism, and really that was someone who was high on the spectrum, and they're trying to apply the same expectations to their child, and it's really painful. So I love that you clearly um, explained that it really kind of depends on where you're at and what your trajectory is in the first place. Um, So the spectrum, let's talk about that for a second when you do you treat people from all ends of the spectrum
1: absolutely, absolutely, and one of the things that I would very much like to make clear is that we do not consider asperger 's to be on the same spectrum as autism. I want to make that very very clear and that's reason, interesting Yes, um, I personally am rather irritate, irritated by that concept because. These two conditions are very different. With Asperger's, individuals do not have as a question their intellectual capacity or their potential survival. Okay? They usually get brighter and brighter and brighter. They can easily access information without treatment, and they will tend to do fine. Many of them are actually very, very bright in certain areas. But with autism, we see this as a neurodegenerative <coughs> disorder. It's more like Alzheimer's disease. If you don't treat it, it will actually get worse over time. So your 21-year-old will be less capable than your 2-year-old without treatment. And, you know, this bothered me, uh, Lynette, for a long time. And I said, how is it that these two things are considered to be on the same spectrum? Because they're they're two very different disorders. You know, on the one hand, you have decreasing intellectual capacity and functionality. On the other hand, you have increasing intellectual capacity and functionality. The two are not the same. You cannot treat them the same. And they absolutely require very different therapies in order to provide for healing and um, and normalization.
0: Okay, so I'll I'll, I'll buy that. But what about the idea that um, it's just something that came to mind as you were talking, and I'm I'm not arguing for or against because either is fine, but... um, If I have a a slow-functioning autistic person at home, it's harder for me as a parent, it's harder for my teachers, it's harder for the world around me to reflect back to that person the possibility of change and learning. It's harder for us to see somebody who is capable or could be capable or who could grow and change. So therefore, we don't give information. We don't give opportunity. We don't, you know, and I actually don't want to say we because I do, (laughs) but... (laughs) But it's really common to have this person kind of starved for the normal um, load of information and and reward systems that would normally happen. Do you think that could be what makes such a difference in the one getting worse and the other one getting better, maybe a give up, or or have you found actual biological differences?
1: these, These are actual concrete biochemical and biological differences. Um, Dr. Walsh of the Walsh Research Institute, a brilliant PhD researcher, has the world's largest database database on actual brain chemistry and brain structure of of children who have autism and those who are in the spectrum. And he's assessed those things versus Asperger's. And the the brain structures are two very different creatures. Um, With autism, there is an initial incapacity of brain cells to grow in the proper they usually grow from top to bottom and from bottom to top, and then they meet in the middle. What happens there in the spectrum disorders is that the the nerve cells don't actually meet in the middle the way they're supposed to. There's a much greater distance. Now, that's just one of the structural differences. You don't see that in Asperger's, by the way. Okay. So there are actual structural and biochemical differences between the two.
0: And that, of course, makes a very big difference in your approach, and we'll get to that in a second. So. Mm-hmm. All right. So, how do you feel about the DSM-5 then? <laughs> That's
1: a very good question. Um, <laughs> well, I had to ask it. Come let on. <laughs> me, let me just say that there is an entire um, there's an entire group uh, of individuals, multiple groups of individuals, who don't necessarily concur with the latest variation of the psychiatric bible. The who are more thinking that we need to individualize and separate. So we have two categories of professionals out there. We have the loppers, and then we have the separators. And the separators are not at all happy something is one thing but how you treat it that's really the key so that's really what i think we all need to focus on how do we get well
0: there? and yes but that's where lopping in, and by the way <laughs> i adore you now i'm in love with you because you use loppers and separators and everyone understood you instead of some science term um okay so um but that that's where the danger lies of everybody's being misled by a label, they often go down the wrong path. I'll give a quick hit would be, let's say you were uh, calling someone schizophrenic, so you automatically assume that it had to do with the dopamine and sometimes serotonin and sometimes a mixture of the two, but let's go with dopamine. The dopamine issue of schizophrenia, then you're just making an assumption. And so you're going down this path. Correct. and not looking at all the other stuff. So um, it really does matter whether you're lopped or separated and as far as what path and what outcome you get. Yes,
1: And I, I think, Lynette, what is key here is that when we're talking about the regular practitioner, um, that would be you know, probably a, a statement that holds a great deal more weight. But when you're speaking to um, scientists, physicians, those who are involved heavily in research and those who have a different approach, then the nomenclature doesn't make as much of a difference because what we look at is actually the biochemistry, the molecular biology, the genetics underlying the so-called condition, and we use individual testing first. So, you know, someone will come in and say, let's just say for a moment they, they were labeled with schizophrenia, we know there are at least three major and two minor biotypes that produce symptoms that are very similar to what people would categorize as schizophrenia. So what we're looking at are really the biotypes. We're looking at the chemistry and so forth. So the, the label is fairly well minimized on that level. So, but with autism, now you can call autism an apple. It's still autism. That is a powerful condition that no one can really deny. And it is, it is a very, very strong group of symptomatologies, structural changes, and abnormalities that are present in a, a very, very, very compromising fashion. So there, you know, we can still say whatever it is that the DSM wants to put it, people who know how to treat it are still going to treat it the right way. People who don't know much about it, they're the ones who are really going to be influenced by what any particular book has to say.
0: Okay, awesome. So give me, before I do the mid-interview break, give me an example of your non-drug nutrient approach, something that um, maybe a... Particular patient, of course, hiding their identity, but um, you know, an example that makes it clear to us what you're talking about instead of up in the theory clouds here.
1: Okay, well, let's say um, little Joseph comes into the office and he's five years old. He's never spoken. He's had he was diagnosed as being autistic since age two. Um, let's say that it was uh, surrounding a, a set of I, I don't want to go to the vaccinations, but let's say that the final straw that broke the camel's back that caused a reversion into autism, shall we say, was a set of vaccinations. Um, Now, what we know is that really autism, even though it has one name, one label, is a multifaceted disorder. It involves not only the brain chemistry, but it also involves gut issues. It also involves inflammation. It definitely involves a tremendous amount of oxidative stress, not to mention um, when we go back to gut gut syndromes. It also involves issues around um, areas in the brain, certain brain structures that are also not very well developed, and connectivity. And yes, there can also be a neurotransmitter issue that's involved. So the approach is, number one, recognizing that there is a multi-systemic issue at hand. It is not just one area of the body or the person or the individual that you have to work on. Several different systems, from the immunological system to the uh, once again the gut system to the, the brain and everything associated, so that 's first, realizing it 's a multi systemic process, so you have to do several things simultaneously actually. most of these individuals about sixty to sixty five percent will also have what 's called a leaky gut, so you have to heal that leaky gut and stop the the, um, the, the inflammation that results gut issues, there's both inflammation and there's also a loss, a non-capacity to absorb the appropriate amino acids, vitamins, and minerals that the body needs in order to function and that the brain also needs in order to function. So it's extremely important to, number one, heal the gut. You must deal with inflammation. You have to deal with oxidative stress. And then you also have to deal with the brain functionality, brain structure, and healing of both the brain barrier there's a lovely little barrier that's rather protective surrounding the brain that's called the blood brain barrier and its job is to keep the bad stuff out and the good stuff in keep toxins out keep healthy elements inside the brain and not let invasions or massive amounts of, of negative substances to enter the brain now in autism and the spectrum disorders we know that certain areas of that barrier are weakened and the same for the barrier that lines the gut. There's also a gut-blood barrier. And that's also weakened in conditions of autism and the spectrum disorders. So the, to make a, a very long, long, long story short, there's a multifaceted, multi-system approach that must be dealt with with every individual who comes in on the spectrum. But here's the thing. Not all children on the spectrum are the same. So our favorite statement is, when you've seen one autistic patient, you've seen one autistic patient. And so you must individualize therapy. Not all kids are going to be um, rich in Canada or yeast. Not all children are going to have quite the same degree of leaky gut or issues there. Some children, as you said earlier, will be higher functioning than others. Either way... Our job isn't done until we've maximized the capacity of anyone in the spectrum, no matter what level they're at. So one thing I want to say is that it is a multifaceted, multisystemic approach. And this is why all the research out there that's looking for a single gene or looking for a one drug to treat autism, they're not going to find it because it's not one gene that's involved, it's actually a group of genes a group of genes that each sit in areas or regions closer to others, in other words, a cluster of genes, these are the ones that are being affected initially by oxidative stress or uh, some type of methylation challenge or both, and usually both. And this is why you're not going to find the autism gene because it's not a single element. We cannot have multiple systems throughout an entire individual being affected by only one gene. It just doesn't happen biologically or biochemically. So that's something I want everyone to understand out there. This is a big process that's affected by, that's caused by many genes, not just one, being affected.
0: Okay, so you're using the word systemic, and um, I know that a lot of parents who are dealing with somebody who might have a very serious allergy, say to a bee sting or something, may have heard the term, Uh, It's gone systemic, quick. It's an emergency. So separate that out for us so that they can not say, well, of course, one little thing could have caused it. You're using words that I know one little thing caused this huge reaction. What would be the
1: difference? Well, the difference is that when we're talking about, um, say, for example, an allergy, now what is happening is that there is an initial insult that is an initial cause, like, say, a bee sting, that sets an immune reaction it's a domino effect okay a domino effect that's being produced um, by a particular cause and that is radiating throughout the system by different chemicals now here's the thing you can push back that entire process usually by using an antihistamine of some type or a steroid they will target specifically the immune system only and you'll get usually a good result in terms of stopping this process from, from growing or developing. When you talk about, now, that's the immune system. Okay? You're not affecting other systems directly like the brain or um, even the gut that cannot be reversed by one particular element. When we're talking about things like autism, we're talking about the genetic blueprint. We call this an epigenetic disorder. Certain genes and what we call markers or flags and these flags are planted in certain positions in certain places and when we get the machinery of the human system that comes along to read these flags is supposed to work or, or our immune system is supposed to work. And the machine that misreads that flag produces an entirely different creature than the one that was originally designed. So here when we're talking about a multi-system problem, it's because the actual cellular machinery that's supposed to read the DNA blueprint misreads it because the markers or the flags are in places that they're not supposed to be. And when that happens... Everything just like the bee sting phenomenon, but the bee sting phenomenon in several different places. So that's the difference between a what I would call a one-sided or, or one-dimensional um, syst- systematic reaction like a bee sting, mm-hmm. where it only affects the immune system, versus areas like autism, where there's several different systematic effects that come from different genes being affected.
0: Well explained. Thank you so much. And, of course, if we have so many issues. Like, there are millions of allergies and autism and stuff, but, but yep. that was really nicely done. Okay, we have to do the little break where I tell you what you're listening to. When we come back, I'm going to ask Dr. Mensah... MSG has a very negative effect, by the way. It also thins the blood brain barrier. So and I know some autistic kids who crave MSG so they go crazy trying to find it. And I have theories about why, but we're gonna ask him to create um a sort of a little story of how you would approach a client who comes, the mom comes in, I want because it's a story show, sir, so the mom comes in, and she goes, all right, I have this boy, and he's, he's falling apart, and as you ask your questions, you find out that he he looks everywhere, never mind gluten, never mind, we're going to go with something new, um, and he's an MSG craver, and she's never learned about the things in her cupboard or any of that, and so that's what we're going to talk about for at least a second when we come back. You are listening to a new Been on autism answers. I'm Lynette Louise, your story teacher host, otherwise known as the Brain Broad. La la la, the Brain Broad. I love that, you know, because I go abroad because I'm abroad. Anyway, so (laughs) today's guest is Dr. Albert Mensah, and he's fantastic. He's answering everything I throw at him so quickly. He doesn't even have to breathe to, you know, go, oh, let me think about that. No, he just knows the answer. So we're really blessed to have him. This is a a beautiful thing. He's an internationally recognized physician specialist in the metabolic treatment approaches for patients with developmental learning, behavioral, and mental health disorders. So we are very blessed to be talking to him. Uh, There is no great guest giveaway (laughs) because... Dr. Mensah's going to do it. So we're going to get our our gift from him, and we can just talk, 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 and dig, 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 but we only have a few more minutes. That's why I'm talking so fast. Make sure you stay and listen to the very end of the show after Dr. Mensah, because that's where I'm going to answer today's question. The autism puzzle, what piece are you? Hey, maybe we should ask Dr. Mensah that. Okay, the autism puzzle, what piece are you? will be in story. and we are back. Hello, Dr. Mansell. I'm trying to fit everything you have to say into this section. So what would you do with someone who comes in with their child and you're asking some questions and you discover this simple little thing? Now, they've got a, 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 a not a simple disorder, of course, but they've got autism, but they've got with buried within that this desire to eat something. and And I see this commonly, eat something that's not good for them. And I just picked MSG because it's just so horrible. Maybe we can tell some people not to use it. Okay,
1: go. Well, Annette, um, you ask a question that's actually applicable to so many different areas. We know that a lot of these kids crave carbs, for example, and a lot of them crave MSG-type products as well. And, you know, unfortunately, we can't win all the battles in, in a forced fashion. The simplest thing to do is to simply avoid MSG. It is something that affects non-autistic individuals quite severely in many ways, shapes, and forms. And so we know that certainly in the autism spectrum disorders, it can be a very, very big problem. The question is, now, when we're looking at MSG, what is it really that this patient is craving? Is there something that's parallel or similar that can be substituted? Is there an, an area where we're seeing um, some absolute real benefit, or is it simply the food stuff in which the MSG is present that the individual is craving? So we kind of have to tease those things out. The bottom line is that it has to be avoided. Okay. That is your number one best chance. There's no hemming and hawing around this. It pretty much just has to. You just pretty much have to stay away from it as much as possible. Okay, wait, wait. Would,
0: maybe, maybe what they're craving is let's let's try and fine tune it a little so they can get a real grok it. Um, so, what if they're craving the excitatory response? So they're wanting that feeling. Would yeah, that not work as a clue for you?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Um, many of these elements, like MSG, will also produce what's called an X. Endorphins. It's like the runner's high, that high you get. Or maybe when you eat carbohydrates, that initial great feeling before the crash. Okay, And the crash is what we're trying to avoid because many times these kids are also hypoglycemic. So they don't have a very good, smooth, ongoing flow of, of glucose or energy or fuel in the system. And so that's one of the things that they're trying to attain with that MSG um, cravings, so to speak. Um, now, there what we can look at is actually trying to change the programming, the frequency, and the foods, uh, the, the particular foodstuffs that a child is, is taking in. Most of the time, if you can keep a child from not becoming hypoglycemic, you can win the battle against MSG a lot easier. And so exactly. that's one thing that we look at strongly. Is a child hypoglycemic? Is a child malabsorptive? Once again, with a leaky gut syndrome in place, many of these kids are malabsorptive, so that craving for things like MSG is even greater. So we have to correct the gut simultaneously while trying to eliminate foodstuffs that could be inflammatory and those that are going to just basically feed a hypoglycemic state. So we wanted one, take care of malabsorption, two, take care of hypoglycemia, and three, deal with the particular dietary foodstuffs in and of themselves if we can actually get the kids to to do better in terms of their dietary regimen which is not easy i know that but it will certainly offset those cravings for the msg
0: well i mean i know so many autistic kids who crave sodas and things like that and yes. it's definitely part of that cycle and you know when the soda's just aren't available it's amazing <laughs> <laughs> amazing. What happens? They do yes. something else. Okay, so...
1: Exactly. Um, they will eat when they're hungry, yes.
0: Yeah, usually. I mean, in all honesty and in all fairness to parents, I have seen kids who won't. And so then you you have to go where they're at and then change from there. It's like music therapy. You go where they're at. If they're depressed, you go to a depressing song, and then you slowly build it up. And sometimes you have to do that because there are kids who just
1: won't eat. And that um, but it, too. Yes.
0: Yeah. They it's hard to
1: generalize because remember what we said earlier was that Every child is an individual, and right. you have to really deal with that child as an individual and work with them within that context.
0: Right. So, what piece of the puzzle are you? We got this. I, I decided to work with the whole, you know, autism puzzle imagery. Um, wh- what piece of the puzzle do you see yourself as?
1: Several. Um, we. One of the things that, that many people in in the, the lay world don't really understand, once again, is the actual nature of autism itself. Number one, first of all. Autism is treatable, so we see ourselves as educating individuals on the treatment capacity of autism. One of the things that bothers me the most is when I finally see a patient who comes in and they say to me, you know, my doctor told me, um, I, I waited three months to see this, this super specialist at a given institution, and they said that my child was autistic, they would never have any particular hope of doing anything, they would be probably better off in an institution and my mouth and my heart just drop because that is so not true. So education is number one. Number two, trying to, to work with parents to help them understand the nature of the condition and how we go about treating the disorder. And I use the term disorder because that's exactly what autism is. It is a disorder of different systems in the body. Now where there's disorder, I do. title. in this, this puzzle of autism is, number one, educational, number two, practical. We're looking at treating and certainly healing and improving the condition of our patients or those who come to us. And you know, certainly number four or number three, we are didactic as well, not only for our patients, but we want to help train doctors around the world, as we've been doing already in Australia, to help them learn how to treat conditions like autism. So we see ourselves in sort of a, a multifaceted uh, capacity here, Lynette. Um, there are many pieces in it, and don't get me wrong, we're not saying we're all the pieces to this puzzle.
0: We're That's true, some not. of them.
1: But we are some of them, and we're some of the most key pieces that are present. You know, before uh, Dr. William Walsh came about, he's our, our, our research arm, so to speak.
0: By the uh, way, that was perfect, because we're going to have to close, and you mentioned no. Dr. Walsh, who's part of the giveaway. So go ahead and and say what you're going to say and then move into that.
1: <laughs> okay. Uh, Dr. Walsh introduced the whole concept of methylation to the autism world. Before Dr. Walsh, they had no idea about methylation, and now everyone is trying to apply methylation to all sorts of disorders. Okay. But um, that's all I'll say about him. He's a, a brilliant man, uh, and we owe a great deal to individuals and in research like him who've helped us to elucidate the fact that most autistic children are under-methylated. Some are not. About 30% are actually not, but we treat them both, okay? both categories.
0: And we're going to give away a gift, pa- a gift basket of high-quality supplements and a copy of Dr. Walsh's book, Nutrient Power. Heal Your Biochemistry and Heal Your Brain. So this is really exciting and cool, and I hope we've wet your appetite. So whoever wants that, you have to email me, all right, at Lynette, at com. And in the subject line, you put Dr. Albert Mensah. The first person to do that, because there's only one gift basket, the first person to do that is going to get the gift basket. And if you're smart, you'll rush to your computer, or you're probably already at it listening to the show, so please, please, please do that. And Dr. Mensah, one last uh, thing that you want to share with some, you know, anybody listening, these are primarily parents, but we also have professionals, and then also um, your contact info.
1: Absolutely. Um, The number one thing I want to do is, first of all, I want to congratulate a lot of the parents who are listening to your show because they have hope and they understand that there is treatment out there, and that's very, very key. If someone tells you there's no treatment for your child, do not believe them. They simply don't know what it is. Uh, It's not just us. There are some really good people who really understand this condition, and they're out there. Um, we'd be more than happy if you have any questions. We don't charge people for giving us a call and just talking. You can reach us at telephone number 630-256-8308. That's at Mensa Medical, telephone number 630-256-8308. Or you can go um, on the web and uh, find us at www.mensamensamedical.com. Um, it's absolutely our pleasure to talk to folks and to help them understand, you know, the potential conditions and challenges with their child. And we're more than willing to do that just, just talking initially.
0: Wow, that's actually a really nice thing. It is, you know, really, actually. I don't know if you realize what a great thing that is. Thank you so, so much. You've been just a font of information. I'm sure you've raised enough questions to make them go out and seek more answers um, and given enough answers to make them know that... Uh, that there's something there. Thank you so much for being on the show, Dr. Mensa.
1: Thank you very much, Lynette, for having me.
0: Wow, that was Dr. Mensah from Mensah Medical. And if you want him, at a .com and you'll be able to check it out. I'm so excited. You better remember to email me somebody so I can give you that book and those high-quality supplements. How exciting is that? Um, you'll have an extra piece of information. You'll see what they they consider high-quality supplements and uh, what they think is you know, sort of a good generic giveaway for autism. So, you know, if I was you, I'd be typing me right now, Lynette at com. So the question, what piece of the autism puzzle are you? I think we all are a piece of that puzzle. If you're the piece, let's just decide for the end of the show here, if you're the piece of the puzzle that um, that is taking care of a loved one with autism and is trying to help them heal, then you have some work cut out for you. And I'm going to elucidate that in story. Okay, so I was so excited when I went to this one home because uh, their son was eating the walls. And the reason I found that exciting is because up until meeting that child, since that child, though I've met others, but up until meeting that child, I thought my son was the only one who thought that eating Walls, yes, I'm saying walls, W-A-L-L-S, the wall that is beside your bed, that thing, the wall. (laughs) I thought my son was the only one who found walls delicious and wanted to eat them. So I come across this young man, and and he is just as challenged as my son in mobility and inflammation and speaking and and younger, so uh, we got mileage quicker, uh, but, you know, it was exciting to see a sameness, sort of a, ha, huh, so wall, wall, similar cravings. Um, you must have something similar to what my son has. And I have to be honest with you. I became a therapist out in the world of autism and, and different disorders because I was trying to help our family. And I think a personal motivator is a good thing. I think it keeps you passionate, it keeps you looking and every time I learned something out in the world I brought it home, I tried it at home, that added to my knowledge base. It also made it more possible for me to do things without uh, releases and uh, and so I was able to be more assertive perhaps than than I would have otherwise been able to be if I wasn't working with my own family. I took that knowledge and I took it out into the world and we would and this this beautiful circle of healing began and of information gathering began. And I went culture to culture and, and dietary style to dietary style um, because I traveled the whole world. I got to see, you know, what's the same here and what's different? And I think what I want to bring to light today in the story is that we have to tease out the difference between nutrient se- seeking and addiction that is bad for you. So it, when I was talking to Doctor Mensah I brought up the MSG question because that would not be healthy for you. That is something that a person would be seeking because they're trying to get the effect. Now, uh MSG makes everything more flavorful and it makes but it makes your brain fire in a way that's really scary and people actually die from too much MSG. Uh, yeah. That that I did say that, and it is true. Okay, let me say it again. People actually die from excess MSG ingestion. Um, It breaks down the blood-brain barrier. It does all kinds of things. It it causes exo exocytotoxicity. and <laughs> makes everything fire at once, and that's why uh, some people have died from it, and that's why there were controls put on it. But it's everywhere because it does make you buy more stuff. So here you're giving your child uh, something because they want it, and you're thinking, well, at least they'll eat it, and that's a good thing. It's keeping them alive, but it may be you know, contributing to their decline. So please, please, please be very careful about not just MSG, but Figuring out nutrient-seeking versus addiction. So that was my question to myself when I looked at my son eating the walls and I looked at this child eating the walls and I looked at what's the same between the two of them. And I ascertained that there was probably gluten in the walls. And sure enough, as I investigated, um, the wall board had gluten in it. It was part of the sticky stuff that was holding that pressed wallboard together. You know, I had to see who, you know, where, what kind of wallboard they had, what kind of wallboard we had, um, and I really, at some point, just stopped investigating and felt very certain. And I'm not sure that in a research project that would work. But in a lived experience, you know, you can't deny someone's lived experience. You have, you have to give them the right to tell you what they're really seeing. And what I was really seeing was a connection to gluten. I'd seen my son also get attached to Crayola crayons at one point back when they had a lot of gluten in them. I haven't checked recently, so I don't want to slight them. They may not have that anymore. But um, every time he got a serious addiction to something, it was gluten-based. So was he nutrient-seeking? no. He was state change-seeking. So the thing about gluten is it makes you feel a little stoned and you know, if you're a person who's always living at the mercy of your state being off one direction or another, and having pain from inflammation, and having uh, you know problems where you you can't get your words out, and you're emotionally uh, hurting because nobody can understand you, and you're frustrated, or all the different things that happen in autism, you might you might start to really want state change in the same way that uh, anybody who has a lot of problems might become a drinker so or a cocaine user or a pot user. And so our world, or a Starbucks user, so we're all after state change, trying to make ourselves feel different. And sometimes even if it's not better, different is better, just a break from the – it's like if you have chronic pain, you may not like being stoned, but you may prefer to just at least feel different for a little bit. And so that makes it confusing when you're investigating and you go, well, I don't know why he would want to do that. Why would he want to do that to himself? Maybe different is all he's really seeking. And so to figure it out, you have to get to know what they're putting in and then say, oh, this is nutrient-seeking and then you can take that knowledge to your doctor. Or Or if it's gluten, you can take that knowledge to your doctor. Whatever it is, if you are... The piece of the autism puzzle that is for the observer at home, this is your job. Okay? This is your job. you got to Google it. you got to do all those different things. you got to figure out what is going on. Are they seeking nutrition or are they hurting themselves um, by feeding an addiction? Okay. And, and so on the piece of the autism puzzle, who are we? Um, I want you to think about that as well when you go and get your therapist. I've seen this trend, and I want to celebrate people for, you know, of course I want to celebrate it because it's my story as well. I think it's one. Wonderful when you're dealing with something in the home, and then you seek to find answers, and you find some answers, and so you share those answers. And before you know it, it's a business because you can't afford to just be sharing answers all the time unless you're getting paid because your time is being filled sharing answers, and you need to eat. And and so now you're helping people everywhere, and you're sharing the answers that you found. Um, I love that. I love that there's so many parents who are who are in the field and becoming professionals. And so that when you talk to your professional, you can go, oh, yeah, she understands. She knows what it's like or he knows what it's like to do this 24 hours a day and to be a parent and to hurt and to want for our kids. But I'm seeing something else, too. So I want, I want you to think about this and look at what you're choosing, okay? Are you choosing a professional? Because they're a parent and they can talk to you about their their situation. And that's okay. But when you do, ask yourself this question. Did their child actually get better? Are they beyond? Have they moved on that, uh, that continuum to the place where the knowledge they're sharing with you has... Um, has some vintage to it, some maturity, some some awareness of difference? Or are they just telling you the few things that they found useful in their home and kind of treading water with their child and it's not really improving all that much? Because I'm seeing an awful lot of people who sort of gather and clique together. I'm trying to say this gently because I know I'm going to hit a lot of nerves. But, okay, I'm just going to say it. Don't gather just to share your pain. Don't pay somebody <laughs> just to keep you in one place. If their kid didn't get better and they've been at it a long time, um, really investigate why. Now, I myself have one that he's gotten better, but it's really, really slow. And so I wouldn't, you know, I can't say he's now living on his own, but I have three who are living on their own. So so I can say that um yes, it's a big spectrum, so if the professional you're talking to has a very slow functioning autistic person, probably they didn't get all the way better. But did they get better enough that you can feel like what she's she or he is bringing to you is actual information with a belief in in healing, or is it let's just make it you know a little more comfortable in this place? Let's play with these therapies a little bit and um stay where we're at. And just be best friends while you give me, <laughs> pay me whatever an hour. So be careful of that. Look at their story, not just their story when they're the doctor, but look at theirs too. You know, were they at the bottom of their class, if you can find out? Uh, are they the, um, you know, don't don't go to them because they seem like they're so smart that they're talking over your head, so now you think, you know, they must know their stuff. Watch this. Be aware of where you're headed. Because there is a lot out there. And if you're the piece of the autism puzzle that is wanting to just sit and commiserate with somebody and maybe help your child find, um, you know, a a, a new belt that that will keep them in place on the bus, then you're not really going towards healing. So at least know that. Know who you are. And, uh, you know... If you're talking to a 23-year-old who's got all the answers and never had a child and is telling you what to do, know that too. Because that person doesn't answer, doesn't understand 24 hours a day. Does that mean their advice is no good? It doesn't mean that at all. They may be fantastic. Any of these people may be fantastic for you. But know what you're buying, please. Don't be fooled by the studies that don't look at the whole picture. Look at the whole picture and then look for studies to support your ideas, um, if you're a study looker. All right, one last thing, and then I'm going to say goodbye, y'all, and thank you for being here. I had a thought when uh, Dr. Mensah was talking that, that it really kind of cleared something for me that I thought I wanted to share, and that's The gift of autism, and I've talked about it before, of course, because I think that my life's been greatly gifted by autism, but many people are gifted by a tragedy or a trauma or breast cancer uh, as led to clinics, you know, where people got over it or even someone died and then everyone got um, together and started building clinics. And and so great things happen from, from horrific situations, and I'm not saying autism's horrific, I think it's awesome, actually, but the gift of autism, I think, is largely driven by the fact that we, as parents, expect our children to grow and and flourish and become uh, more day upon day upon day, not get stalled out and challenged and perseverate and run in circles and slap their hands or whatever they're doing. Um, so we... Are their fighter. We see that as our position. We believe our role is to make their lives better, and we are, we are passionate and we are infused with energy to do that, except for the times when we're exhausted. So, um, Alzheimer's is something he compared it to in its inflammatory response, and I agree. I think there's a great deal of inflammation connection with autism, and uh, it's interesting to find out that also with Alzheimer's. So, and that it's this there's a sameness in there and I was thinking about how our role defines how we accept a disorder and if it's your parent who you thought was going to decline at some point you grew up knowing they would die before you that there'd be a decline there would end in death and and so you have a different feeling about your parent you love them and you don't want to see it happen kind of almost a, a fear of the day that it would happen has existed but but an acceptance and an awareness that that's your end point um, may lead to a lack of fighting for someone and a lack of discovering and a lack of hope and a lack of um, seeing the possible quality changes that could happen. And so the gift of autism for us is that we are the parents. We are the teachers. We are the the doctors and the healers that see children as something that should grow and flourish. So if you have an Alzheimer's parent, think of that. And maybe raise your eyes and say, I think there might be hope here too. But, but mostly, since this is a new spin on autism answers, I'd like to say be the piece of the autism puzzle that is infused with energy by the role that you play. And make a difference. Join my hands. Let's make a difference. Thank you for being here. I'm Lynette Louise, also known as The Brain Broad, and this is a new spin on autism. Answers.
1: Thank you for joining the show today. Lynette is the author of the refreshingly honest and at times hilarious new book, Miracles Are Made, a real life guide to autism. You can purchase this and other materials by looking on the webtalkradio.net website and clicking on the covers. You can also click through to her Facebook page and check out any show you may have missed by looking in the archives. We'll see you soon for another edition of A New Spin on Autism. Answers.
0: Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. Spinning in circles and talking to myself. I can't hear